Lord is among us, and he's going to speak to us. So why don't we just start in chapter 2 again, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Remember chapter 1, it's uh, about the birth of Samuel. There had been a 400-year period after uh, Joshua, during the time of Joshua, the nation of Israel had obeyed the commandments of the Lord and there had been obedience, there had been worship of the Lord, but when the people who knew Joshua, when that generation died out, a long, long time of rebellion had happened. And, and so there were judges that were raised up to deliver Israel from their enemies. Their enemies overtook them every time they went into rebellion. That was an act of mercy of the Lord. Uh, and that happens in our lives sometimes where he, he really either sends or, or allows enemies into our life to chasten us so that we will uh, understand that we need to go back to the Lord. And so really the final judge of the period is Samuel. And Samuel is the person who's going to transition them from really the time where where God is their king, God's the king of every individual, to the time where they actually have a human king. Not that God is not going to be their king after that, but uh, Saul's going to become king. But Samuel is going to be the judge, the, the prophet, the man of God that's going to lead him, lead them to that place. And so uh, his mother Hannah had been, before he was born, barren and she had cried out to the Lord. The high priest had said to her, yes, you're going to have a child. She has. She makes a bargain with the Lord prior to conception that if um, she, it, he gives her a child, he's going to dedicate her to the Lord uh, forever. And so um, she does that. She comes um, at the end of chapter 1, and she gives Samuel to the Lord. She, to the high priest for just service there uh, in the temple. And it's at that time she has this prayer of praise. She prays in verse 1, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who are stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased the hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. 
For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces from heaven. He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. We had actually ended last time in verse 3 just a couple things um, to really emphasize about this prayer. One, at this time, Samuel is being given over to the temple. He's probably three or four. They weaned them later at that time. And I think it's, it's very significant. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. That um, our, our giving to the Lord must be done cheerfully. And now she's, she's, she's not giving money here. She's giving her child. She's not you know, weeping as, as, the, um, as the child goes. She's just, uh, she's, um, she's just, she's glad. She's rejoicing. Second Corinthians, it says, let, let our giving be, uh, the, the, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And, and that really means that word in the Greek is hilario, meaning hilarious giver. And so um, she has that here. It says in verse 5, it says, even the barren has borne seven. And so it's so important that we understand that God can change everything in an instant. Everything in an instant. And, and, and he did in this case. And that we, we can't ever forget that. That whatever circumstance that we're in, it's for our good, as painful as it may be, but that we can continue interceding if the Spirit leads us and everything can change in an instant. Now, in, in Romans chapter 9, we talked a lot about um, the uh, free will and the sovereignty of God and, and how important it is just to believe that the Lord is often the one who not only allows calamity, in fact, the word allows isn't really used very much in the Bible. Look at verse 6. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. And so I've just noticed, um, I just know for me, just believing in the sovereignty of God is painful as a trial that comes into my life if I just recognize God you have brought this into my life. There, there can be, and you brought this into my life for my good and for your glory somehow. It, it, it's, it, there, that's an, such an easier path to joy when we just accept that. Uh, verse 8 says, He raised the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. Verse 8, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. Now, uh, on Tuesday night, we like to get into some detail. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, there's a church for everything nowadays. It's so easy to run off into crazy different doctrines. 
there are churches called flat earth churches that believe that the Bible teaches that there is a flat earth. And um, one of the verses they use, uh, one of the verses that they, they use is right here at the end of eight, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord, are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. And so uh, I, I, I think as a threshold matter, it's important to, to establish that Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22 says, the Lord sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And so the Bible doesn't teach that the earth is flat. Now, what might this mean here? Uh, well, I've always taken it, and I think this is the best one. That's just, that, that's just speaking of the foundations of the earth. The, the, the foundation the, the, uh, of the earth, uh, and, and the Lord has, has, has set the world or set us, set the, what's on the surface of the world um, on them, and it's secure, and it's strong. It's just speaking of the strength and the immutability um, of the Lord. Now, some people... Um, they point out that that word for pillars there in verse 8 is the same word used in the Bible for princes or governors. Uh, and so Judges chapter 20, verse 2, 1 Samuel 14, verse 38, Zephaniah 3, 6. You can go to those verses. Clearly, it's talking about human beings who are governors. Some people think that what it means there is that, you know, he, he's talking here about laying princes low. In fact, he does in, in the same verse. He's talking about princes and governors. Um, and, and they're basically, they, what they think that word means is that instead of for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, the governors of the earth are the Lord or the princes, and he has set the world upon them, meaning um, they're the ones who govern uh, the, the earth. It makes a lot of sense because the beginning of the verse is about princes. Uh, and so uh, there you have it, Samuel's mother praising the Lord, not when her baby is born, although I'm sure she did then, but when she is giving them away. Oh, that we would be able to praise the Lord as we give to the Lord our children and that we wouldn't hang on to them. You've heard the expressions before, of parents who have a difficult time letting go of the apron springs of overly controlling their uh, their kids and when they do that they're ripening their kids for rebellion that's a dangerous thing to do that said parents we uh, you know I, I can speak for myself and stephanie oh do we need to cry out to the lord for wisdom on on um when to uh be letting and how to be letting our kids go and releasing them into the world. So verse 11 says, Then Elkanah, that's Hannah's husband, went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. So uh, Elkanah and Hannah go home. Samuel stays there. Can you imagine that? A little four-year-old kid's like, what is going on here? Uh, my parents are leaving, and I'm being uh, left with this guy, and remember at the time, he had this like headpiece on, and he had uh, the breastplate on, and he was a really interesting looking guy at the time. So then verse 12 says, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. 
And the literal translation means sons of Belial. It says they're sons of the devil. That's who they were. And they did not know the Lord. They did not know the Lord. Isn't that interesting? So these guys were in succession to be the high priest. They, they worked in the temple. And it says they did not know the, the Lord. The word there in Hebrew is yada. Many of you have heard me say Genesis 4.1 says Adam, yada, knew Eve and uh, conceived Cain. This is the, an intimate knowledge of the Lord. So they, uh, obviously they knew facts about God, but they didn't know him experientially, meaning they didn't, I, 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 I know who President Trump is, but I don't know him experientially and that's the that's the distinction there and it says that they were corrupt verse 13 says and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice remember three times a year all of israel would come and that they would give their sacrifices to the lord and the priest's custom was uh, with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice the priest's servants would come in with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. And then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat... The priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give me for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. And he would answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men, meaning the sons of the high priest, was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Okay, there's a lot there. There's a, there's a whole lot there. What is all this talking about? Well, uh, once upon a time, we were in Leviticus, and in Leviticus, it, it, there's a description how, about how each offering was made to the Lord, the, trespa, the, the burnt offering, the, the trespass offering, the sin offering, and then the peace offerings. Now, the peace offerings, most of the time where you see a big celebration in Israel, three times a year, the Jews go to... Uh, uh, go to Jerusalem. Uh, of course, the Passover, there would, there would be an offering of the Passover lamb, but, the, but, but there would be, the people would offer peace offerings to the Lord, and there were very specific directions of how a peace offering was to, you know, how it was to be offered. And so, essentially, it was a it was a barbecue time where the children of Israel would be eating and feasting with one another. And 
when an offering such as a lamb was made or a bull was made, according to Leviticus uh, chapter 3, what happened was, uh, I should say Leviticus 3 and Leviticus 7, what happened was you would bring your offering to to the priest, they would offer it up to the Lord, meaning the lamb or the animal was killed, their, their, their blood would be drained, and then there was a specific law that the fat would be burned. And in Leviticus chapter 3, verse 5, it says the fat, the offering made by fire, was, uh, it was a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the animal was given, to the, given divided up between the priests which I think the, sh- the, the right shoulder and the breast was given to the priests, and the rest of the animal was given to the people. So with peace offerings, unlike a burnt offering, for example, where the entire an- animal was burned on the al- altar to the, to the Lord, the peace offerings, it was really, it was just the fat and some other things like, like the kidneys and stuff like that. But I guess for those of you who like kidneys, well... Uh, um, that's what God wanted. He wanted the kidneys, uh, Leviticus 3, and the fat, and, and, and that's it. But the fat was always supposed to be burned. And it wasn't because it was not healthy. It, was, it wasn't for sanitary reasons. It was, that was the offering to the Lord. So if you, you want to study more about this, it's in Leviticus chapter 3 and, uh, and um, Leviticus chapter 7. But the priest always burned the fat on the altar before dividing up the food. And Leviticus chapter 7.33, the breast was to go to the priest. They were also, according to Deuteronomy, supposed to get the right shoulder. Everything else was to go to the people. So what they're doing here in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 13 through 16, or uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 13 through uh, 16, they're just disregarding the whole law. And, and it says in verse um, uh, 13, it says, when, you know, after the, the, the offering, after the animal was killed and it was, it was being boiled, the priest would just come in with a three-pronged hook and grab anything, anything, whether it was the breast or the right shoulder, which was duly theirs, or anything else, and they would just take it. And so, you know, the, peop- uh, the people are just uh, sitting by helpless. But then also, interestingly, in verse 15, it says, before they burned the fat, the pre-servant would come in and say, hey, give me that meat for roasting to the pre, for it will not, I, he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And then the person would say, well, wait a second. It says in verse 16, you really should burn the fat first. And but for, verse 17 says, essentially, the pre-servant would say, shut up or we'll beat you up. Give me the meat now. And that, that, that's pretty intense stuff uh, because um, um, Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17 says this. It says, this shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. And so they were completely disregarding that completely disregarding the, uh, uh, the word of the Lord. And, and the people would be like, what is going on here? And they would actually be warning the servants of the priest. Do you really want to do this? You really should, verse 16, burn the fat before you take my meat. And they're like, no, give it now. And so, um, 
Uh, verse 17, therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now that's a big deal. Three times a year they were required to go to Jerusalem uh, to offer their offering, but because of the behavior of what we'll call the clergy, they're like, man, we don't want to go there. It's just sickening what goes on there. And I, I got to tell you, you know, with uh, the more the years go by, the more I just have a fear of the Lord. God forbid it, that, 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 the, that people would not come to Calvary Chapel because of the behavior of the leadership. God, is there anything in me that, that people would look at and like, I, I don't want to go to church. I know I'm told to go to church. Like the Jews knew they were supposed to go to church, go to Jerusalem, but they didn't want to go. Why? Because of the behavior of the priests. They were mishandling the offering and, and, and they, were, they were treating the offering as what? Theirs. They were putting a three-pronged hook in and taking out and, until they got whatever they wanted. Of course, we know that this is happening a lot today, right? That people's offerings to the Lord are really being taken just by the leadership of the church for lifestyles that are, are lavish. And... Um, I never forget, right after I was saved, there was these huge scandals. And I, I remember Jim Baker pulling up in a Rolls Royce. He was a TV evangelist at the time, and the, and the, um, and the reporters were, were interviewing him. Now, it, that guy really did repent. I, by, all, by, by all account, he really did repent. He, he went to jail, and now he preaches at a Salvation Army somewhere in L.A. I mean, um, but at the time... Um, you know, it was crazy. And uh, for a lot, it's not Rolls Royces or maybe planes, but it's just, it's just clear using the offerings of the Lord in a manner, basically stealing the offerings of the people. And, and so what, why, you know, you know, giving can be one of the most joy-filled things to do. But it's not going to remain that if if people know that they're just offering up, that they're going to be taken by the leadership. And so that's a very, very serious thing. It says the sin was very great before the Lord, verse 17, because men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Verse 18, but Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. So one of the interesting things about this whole story of Samuel, he, he grows up into be a tremendous man of God, but he saw so much bad stuff. And he, he, he really did. And, and, and um, you know, many times when, when the, we come into, we're counseling someone who's, They've been divorced, and their their husband or their wife is is unsaved, and all kinds of bad stuff happens in the home. And and uh, my pastor Randy Cahill, and just years and years ago, he had this saying that look at Moses grew up in the house of sorcerers, but look what happened to him. And we just have to trust the Lord. Samuel grew up and to be a man of God, but did he see some weirdness? And it's going to get even weirder as, as time goes by. Moreover, verse 19, his mother used to make him a little robe 
and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifices. You know, it's interesting that Elkanah continued to obey God here, didn't he? Even though he knew his offering was not being treated in a proper manner. So all Israel was knowing what was going on here. And um, there was, you know, we'll, we'll see a little later, they were even, um, the, the sons of Eli were even sleeping with women in the gate. Uh, I mean, it was crazy, but he's still coming every year. Three times a year, he was still faithfully doing what, what the Lord had told him to do. And, he just, and, and this really is what obedience is like. Look, I'm going to do what I've been told to do, and I'm going to leave the rest of those problems to the Lord. Um, so this was not a time where, you know, if your church leadership was going south, you could say, hey, wait a second, this is all messed up. I can go look for another church. They didn't have an option then. And he continued going to Jerusalem three times a year. Verse 20, And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord uh, give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their home. And the Lord visited Hannah, so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child, Samuel, grew before the Lord. And so Hannah had been barren those, all those years, and um, the Lord honors her here. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And, uh, and, and he visits her. But, uh, you know, this... Um, this verse just really does something to my heart. It says the child grew before the Lord. The child grew before the Lord. And just for, for parents raising kids. Are your children growing before the Lord? Is that what's happening? When your kid leaves, when they're 18 years old, when they leave the house or whenever it is, when they leave your house, and they are asked, so what was your dad about? What was your mom about? Oh, my dad was about football. He was really into football. He used to take us to all the games. My mom was really about her job. She was really really into her job. She was really dedicated to it. My dad was really about the stock market. Or, you know, my parents, they were just all about us. They were really, really dedicated to us. Man, they would go from practice to practice to practice to practice. They would work two jobs so that we had everything and are those going to be the responses? Parents, future parents? Or is it going to be, they were, you know, my parents, they were all about the Lord. They, they, they really loved us. They were dedicated parents, but they were all about the Lord. 
In other words, they grew before the Lord. They grew before the Lord. So parents, I, I think it's a great, a great question to chew on. Does the Lord have the freedom and permission to show his hand strong in your family's life? Are you living in such a way in your house? Or is your dedication to your kids getting in the way? Your dedication to football, to finances, to having the best things for your family? So it says, Samuel grew before the Lord. Verse 22, now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to Israel, and how they lay with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Remember, we've talked many times about this. I've mentioned it so many times, I feel like sometimes I'm coming off like this prude or something. But the, the pagan nations that, that Israel was required to push out, dispossess, as a part of their worship, there, there were sexual practices and things like that. And, and, um, and so here, Eli's two children are doing the same thing. They are just incorporating what the nations around them are doing. And it says, verse 23 says, Eli said to them, why do you do these things? For I hear your evil de uh, dealings from all the people. Verse 24, no, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear that you make the Lord's people transgress. There's no way a leader, leaders can do these type of things without other people following. There's just no way. Verse 25, if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor with, with both the Lord and men. And then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Aram to be my priest? He's speaking now of Aaron, Moses' brother, who was chosen to be the high priest, and then um, his, his firstborn son, their descendants um, after him. To, did I not choose him to be the uh, out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of the people of Israel? So notice there, Eli is being rebuked for honoring his sons more than him. Eli, 
He has grown sons stealing from the people, having um, sexual relationships with uh, people, with women at the door of the tabernacle. And all he does is say, you guys, you guys, stop it, stop it, really. What should he have done? Anyone, shout it out. Take them out. Take them out. Remove them. And, and, and you know, I, I do see so many houses, uh, so many families over the years where the kids control the house. They absolutely do. They, they're, they're, they control the household. And, and unfortunately, Eli actually has some really good things about him. We'll see that. But, um, you know, this one... This one was not one of them, obviously. He's letting his sons run the house. He's honoring their, your sons more than him. You know, parents, you have to realize that at some point in your life, you may have to choose between your kids and the Lord. And by that I mean... Inevitably, although there are exceptions, inevitably there are situations in a family's life where, I don't know, your, 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 your kid is sitting in such a way that you got to say, hey, you can't do this anymore. And I've told you so many times you can't do it, so you got to go. You got to leave. And you got to risk your kid leaving and being really angry with you and not, I don't know, talking to you for the next 10 years. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times with adult children I've seen parents bail out, both literally but also just financially, um, children who were in huge, huge rebellion, continuing to pay their rents when they're living clearly li living a life of sexual immorality, paying for their cars, paying for this and paying for that, and essentially enabling them to stay in sin. Why? Well, I, I, I don't want to lose my relationship with my kids. And all they're doing is they're pushing their kids into deeper and deeper rebellion. And uh, it's a tough, tough thing. But Jesus knew what he was talking about, right? When he, when he said in the book of Luke, um, where he says, I, I, he says, unless you hate your father and mother, your, your son and daughter, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, you cannot be my disciple. What was he talking about there? Not a literal hatred, because God is love, but it's reject the idolatry of family relationships. And so um, that's, what, um, that's what Eli is doing here. Verse 30 says, therefore the, so the prophet says to, um, to Eli, therefore the God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever, but now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house and you will see an enemy in my dwelling place and despite all the goodness which God does for Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. So he's saying the enemy is 
going to come and he's going to take the Ark of the Covenant. He's going to, uh, and, and that will be happening soon. But then he goes on. He says, but any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon you. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, in one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever." So actually, that one in verse 35, um, it, so, so, so Aaron and his progeny, meaning his descendants, were to serve as high priests in Israel. They were to serve as high priests in Israel. And, and they actually did for, for hundreds of years. Now, Aaron's first two ch children, Nadab and Abihu, they went to the altar and in a way that was inappropriate and they didn't want just Moses and their father to be the only ones who could get real close to God. They tried to get God close themselves and the fire of the Lord came from out of the presence of the Lord and killed them. That left Eleazar, another son of Aaron, and Ithamar. Now, Eleazar was older than Ithamar, and his sons had been high priests for some time, but somewhere along the way, I guess there was not a son, so it switched from Eleazar's descendants back to Ithamar's descendants. Are you with me? Eli is a descendant of Ithamar. And so, but here, because of Eli's sin, um, but because of Eli's sin, this prophet says, and what was his sin? Doing nothing when his sons were, uh, were sinning. So this prophet says, your whole line is going to be cut off. And so just in a couple of generations after that, that is fulfilled when, anyone remember? When Solomon was made king, remember? Or actually before he was made king, there was his, his brother, Adonijah decides that he's going to become king. And Eli's descendant, Abiathar the priest, again, a descendant of Ithamar, defected with Adonijah. Even though he knew Solomon was, the, the, was King David's choice. And of course, that whole rebellion was eventually crushed and Solomon said to Abiathar the priest, sorry, you're not going to be priest anymore. You go basically into exile. And Zadok came in. And Zadok was a descendant of Eleazar. So it, somewhere along the line, it starts off with Aaron, Eleazar. It switches at some point to Ithamar. And then under Zadok, it goes back to the progeny, the descendants of Eleazar. So all you guys are an expert in that now. Aren't you really proud of yourselves? I won't give you a test on that because that's not easy. But it's interesting that in a couple of generations, that's, uh, that's fulfilled, that Eli's line was cut off forever. And so, and then it says, verse 36, 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I might eat a piece of bread. So his descendants, there would just be a judgment among his descendants because of this really outrageous sin. And what was the sin? Sin was very great because it made men in Israel abhor the offering of the Lord. How it's important for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, lest people look at our lives and abhor the offering, the worship, the following of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Now, the reason for that, I believe, was just because of the low spiritual state of Israel. God was not speaking to he was not speaking to his his people it's because they had basically stopped up their ears and uh, and were were you know committing worshiping idols and, and just worshiping the flesh living carnal lives and so uh, people were not listening it says the word of the lord was was rare in those days so that was going to change under Samuel. Verse 2, and it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, so there's no cataract surgery there, and I don't even believe there were glasses at the time, like the ones I'm using right now. Verse 3, and before the lamp of the Lord went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark was, and while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel and he said, and, and, and he called Samuel and he answered, here I am. And so he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Can you imagine? Just this, this, this boy. Just the anticipation. 
verse 11, and then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Okay, a couple things. In verse 7 it says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now it's interesting to me that that's the same words that are used to describe um, Phineas and Hophni in verse 12 of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. The difference, of course, that Eli and Hophni never knew the Lord. They died not knowing the Lord. We will not see them uh, in heaven, I believe. Samuel, it says he didn't know the Lord. He had been chosen at this time. Remember, we've been talking a lot about this from Romans chapter 9, Jesus again, John, John 15. You didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that outlasts you. He's chosen at this point, but he doesn't know God. He knows a lot of facts about God, obviously. But he doesn't know him yet. And um, here he's, he's, he's going to be hearing from the Lord and he's going to realize it's from the Lord. And I, I, again, just for parents, one of the hardest things to do is just allow your, is, is to see your kids and release them and allow them to get to know the Lord on their own. And, and many, many parents, as I said earlier, have just such difficulty doing that, releasing their kids in, in that way. The fact of the matter is, is that many kids, they know facts about the Lord, but they've never had, they've never seen the hand of the Lord. They've never had that experience with the Bible where they read, God is good, and they're just filled with a love of God. Yes, that's true. It really is true. You are good. You are good to me. You, you, you're, you're, what, what, what you do is best for me. And, and, um, and that's a hard thing for a parent to do. They, they, you, the, the kids cannot just walk indefinitely under the, uh, under the faith of their parents. They have to they have to um, embrace their own faith. God needs to make himself real to them. And it's just so important that we don't suffocate our, our kids so much by our protection of them that we don't allow the Lord to come in and speak to them directly so, they, that, so that they can so that they can hear on their own. And it's a very, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing releasing your kids to the Lord. But the Lord is faithful as he was here. It says in verse 10 that it says that he 
the Lord stood, which means this is, again, as we've seen with Joshua, as we've seen with Gideon, as we have seen with um, Samson's parents, this is an appearance of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Every time there is a physical manifestation of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's the second person of the Trinity. It's Jesus Christ. And, and, and it says that the Lord came and stood and called out, as at, at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And so Samuel hears this great judgment that's going to happen to uh, his, his boss, his boss's family, Eli's family. And he said at the end of verse 15, he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. You can only imagine. Verse 16 says, then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Remember, he is the high priest. He does speak with authority. I mean, when he told Hannah in chapter 1 she was going to have a kid, he was speaking as the high priest, and she had a kid. When he told her uh, again when she released Samuel to him that she was going to have other kids, he was speaking of, <laughs> as the high priest, and that was going to happen. So Samuel knew about this authority, and he's thinking, I don't think I would want that prophecy to happen to my family um, because Eli says it's going to happen to you um, if you don't tell me. Verse 18 says, Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And this is where, to me, I think Eli just shines. He has such, he has such a reverence for the Lord. He clearly, clearly, was not a good parent. He clearly abdicated his role as the high priest by allowing the behavior that happened that happened in the tabernacle. But to listen to this to this prophecy verse 13 that his house would be judged forever for their iniquities and um, and that there was no atonement for him. That they were, you know, they were going to be cut off. And for him to say, "It's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him." You know, there is a, a place that you can come to in your life where, again, as as we've talked about already tonight, and we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, the sovereignty of God. Even if. God speaks to you about calamity that's going to be coming. Just, oh, what a wonderful place we are where we're able to say, let the Lord do what seems good to him. And just having a peace, Hebrews 4, 9, there remains therefore a rest for the children of God, for the people of God. Just being able to rest in it and, and, and rest in the fact that, that he's God and not get stressed out and and allow God to be God. 
Verse 19 says, So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And so every word that Samuel gave as a judge, as a prophet, as a man of God, was fulfilled. It, it happened. And um, I personally also think in verse 19, there's also the sense there that he, every word that he was given or that he was supposed to give, he gave. I, I pray this to the Lord for myself. Lord, the, the word that I'm supposed to give on Sunday mornings or Tuesday nights or whenever, Lord, let none of the wor your words fall to the ground. Let, let me deliver them the way that they're supposed to be delivered. Verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word by the word of the Lord. Okay. Well, very good. It's interesting there. It says in verse 21, then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. And so, you know, the tabernacle was there, but apparently the Lord wasn't all the time. But Samuel, um, here at this point, is... Uh, comes in there and, and, and integrity is ushered into the ministry. It's established and the Lord comes in again. There's that incredible scene in the book of Ezekiel of the Lord leaving the temple because of the incredible rebellion of the people. And Ezekiel has the vision of him leaving the Holy of Holies and hovering over the temple and then just taken off. That's how bad the sin had gotten. And so apparently some of uh, that had happened here. But it says the Lord appeared again in Shiloh when Samuel was there. So we're just going uh, to pray at this point. I'd like to pray. I'd like to end this time with, um, with prayer. Uh, I'd like to pray about a few things. We... I'd like to focus for a while on, on children, on children. So if you could, um, if you can get into groups of, of, of four or five, and, uh, and if, if you're a parent, if you could just pray to the Lord yourself that you would live your lives in such a way that your children would, just like, 1 Samuel 2.21 says that your children would grow before the Lord. Is there anything in your, health, uh, in your life that you're doing that's preventing your kids from growing before the Lord when you're in the house? Um, if you don't have children or if you're in a group with no children, um, what, I guess what I would suggest to do is, uh, is pray uh, for some of the children in the church. And um, actually, if you actually have, if there are actually children in your group, pray for them. Uh, could, um, Osagi, I tell you what, could you, 
could you take her and over to this group and maybe people can, you can pray for yourself and then have people pray for them and then someone can also pray for uh, Evangeline uh, as well. So Amaris will, will get uh, some prayer tonight. So pray for yourself and then Lydia too. Pray for yourself as parents and then also just call out some children by name that you know or if, if there's a child in your group um, pray for them, but, but, but um, pray, for, pray for children that you know or, or parents that you know. Pray for them that they would live their lives in such a way, the uh, parents, would like to focus on parents, but also the children, that their children are actually growing before the Lord. So let's, let's do that as Eddie, Eddie begins. Um, let's, let's pray for that for a while.